Hello, and welcome to 404 Podcast Found. I'm Owen Gottimer, and I have a really interesting conversation to share with you. Shaq Schiff is the founder and principal consultant of Bad Testing, based in Chicago. Shaq and I sat down at the historic Palmer House and talked about the recent rebrand of Bad Testing, the four archetypes he uses to help customers, and the universal importance of communication. So the rebrand, what happened was uh, basically about two years ago, I worked with a company called, they're out of Phoenix, called Square Planet Presentations and Design. They used to be in Chicago, and the job was for them to refactor and basically uh, use new copy on my website. So the initial job was, okay, I have 30 pages. How do we refactor everything and modernize it? Um, and this is a company that knows me pretty well. I've worked with them in 2014 for uh, Agile Testing Days keynote um, in Potsdam, Germany. Mm. Uh, so, th- so they already knew me pretty well from just that relationship. So eventually we finished the, the copy and everything else. And my direction to them was, hey, let's go down from 30 pages to two pages plus a contact form. It was a little bit extreme. Right. But um, the the decision was because now everything's on a smartphone and people just don't, you know, I mean, I hate to say it, people just don't really read, at least on smartphones, uh, most websites, and it's nobody's fault. They're just not designed for that much real estate. Mm-hmm. So it was a nice little challenge. We We worked it out and... We looked at customer feedback. I talked to them. I talked to a couple other. I work with a lot of uh, ad agencies and startup companies, and and these things kept on popping up. Um, these archetypes and uh, Square Planet actually said, "Hey, do you fit these archetypes? And you've already mentioned them. And here's this book that we have, and we actually think that this would be a really good idea." And and then I said, "Oh, this is really good. I'd like to put that on my website because." I just wanted to be different. I uh, another piece of logic was I wasn't looking to compete with the big guys for whatever that means, um, and I didn't want to. I didn't want to have a website that looked like every other QA and testing website. And truthfully, the first website I put out that was thirty pages was that. It, you know, you sort of think like, hey, what's everyone else doing? I'm not copying anything, but now I need all these pages and all this description and. It was 2011, 2012, and you know today that's not really necessary. So if I was going to invest the money and time, I decided to do it. Uh, and, and it took a couple of years, but the reason it took a couple of years was because I wasn't in a rush to get it out. You know, these some of the organizations I work with, like everyone else, are really busy, and I always said, you know what, that's fine. <laughs> Whenever we get it done, we get it done. Um, so yeah, they, they, they identify these archetypes and they're actually, they fit for, for basically everyone, probably different professions too, absolutely. But they are a rescuer, a translator, uh, an engineer, and um, a detective. And those sort of hold true. So like exploratory testing, when someone's investigating the system, that's absolutely a detective. A rescuer could be, hey, I found a bug, but uh, a flip side, like a negative test to that is, uh, is thankfully I have clients that have had to remind me that they're paying me to say no. So sometimes like the rescuer could say, well, you know, we, we, do you really want to burn money, time, and resources on trying to fix something 
um, for Internet Explorer 11 or 8. I'll show my, we'll show our clients that here are the trends, no one's using it. Instead of putting money and time into it, you might be better off just, just um, producing a screen that says, hey, for a better user experience, please use a modern browser. And actually, that's something we recommend a lot to clients because there's always going to be something that um, that isn't that, that breaks somewhere or that or analytics shows something. But the other thing about and analytics is important, like Google Analytics. Uh, the other thing is that analytics is also a moving target. So I also tell my clients, this is good to know, but this is a moving target. Uh, but however, we do use that to say, here's your, here's why this isn't important. Here's why this is a priority. Um, and uh, another important thing with, with the clients that we have, who their clients are the really big brands, is also to find out exactly what those brands, what their their team that is in charge of those relationships with my my clients that work with me, right? What are they on? So that's an exception to analytics. Like, are they on an old, are they all on Lenovo's? Are they all on Blackberries, believe it or not? Like, you need to know that um, because what's going to happen, and this always happens, is somebody from, from the brand side is going to say, oh, this is totally broken on my computer. And then you find out they're on Windows 7 Professional. Right. And it's a whole corporate IT policy that, and that's okay, but it's good to know that ahead of time. Um, those, those things tend to happen pretty often. Right, yeah. And so I like that you mentioned the uh, kind of as a rescuer you you might you might suggest in the example you provided doing a pop-up window that says please use a modern browser yeah have you experienced difficulties um, with clients where they're like no we cause I, I know I've experienced this a little bit I'm sure other people have where they're like no yeah. we have to be up and running on IE and it's like well IE is not really the browser most people are using anymore so have you run into problems and how have you gone about trying to convince clients of the importance and show, I mean, you can show them trends and, and everything, of course, but if yeah. they use IE, they're still might thinking like, well, that's what I use. Yeah. So have you run into that and what kind of strategy have you kind of explore? We have, and you know, honestly, not, not all clients will listen to you, mm -hmm. you know, and th that's where I, I, I fall back and say, look, it's my job to tell a story and to educate. And instead of just saying, here's, you need to fix this or write a ticket or a bug or an observation and say, here's what you should fix. I like to give them details for explanation. Here's the history behind it. But not everybody listens. Um, they, they're ultimately, they're in charge. So, you know, we could try. Um, and, and from my perspective, I guess there's people that are always difficult to work with, and I by, by no means am not difficult or, or better or worse than anyone else, but, you know, just try to be very nice and easy to get along and play with and uh, with describing issues, and if it gets escalated to the client, then they're aware of it. Uh, and when they do say we need to fix it or if they don't want to fix it, then I always suggest, you know, that's fine, but we should keep this in there, and you could use that for maintenance. You know, there's there's always something you could do with that. You shouldn't just close it out and say, oh, we're not going to fix it, close it out, especially if it has to do with the user experience. Uh, in this case, it's something that's broken that or either the client has an outdated browser and it's there's nothing you could do about it because it's their corporate IT policy, you know, or um, or they want to fix it. But it's always good to educate them and let them know, uh, you know, where that where that advice is coming from. Right, yeah, that's yeah. Uh, that's really good, really good point. I know I've worked on some teams in the past where we were building websites and 
the client will come to us and say, oh, we need it up and running. Like it's the, the website's broken. You gotta explain like, yeah. right, can you explain to us what browser you're using? What operating system are you working? Cause we, otherwise we, I mean, we're, I was using a MacBook and I'm using Google Chrome and things are working perfectly. So yeah. I need to know kind of where you're coming from. They're like, oh, we're using, yeah, we're using IE7 on Windows XP. And I was like, well, yep. we, have, we didn't design the website knowing that people still use IE7 on Windows XP in 2019 because we just assumed people had moved on from that. But I think that's good things, like you said, to know up front. Yeah, right? I, I, um, I, I just had a scenario like a month ago, uh, the head of IT for a hospital network, exactly that. He wrote a bug and he's like, this is broken on Chrome. Are you seeing this? And I ended up going back and forth with him, asking him, you know, I can't duplicate it. Um, hey, what operating system are you on? And it, he and they ended up being on Windows 7 Professional. And what you were just asking about direction, how to manage that, uh, in that case, they still had to fix it because the client wanted it fixed. But part of the direction I gave them was, here's the Wikipedia page for Windows 7 Professional. Here is information you should know about it no longer being supported. Mm -hmm. um, this was a, a really big network of actually 400 buildings and over 5,000 doctors. So, so that's when we actually learned that part of their network was on Windows 7 when everything was, as far as we were concerned, was built for Windows 10. Mm -hmm. So he was like, well, yeah, we're slowly rolling it out from Windows 7 to Windows 10 and my computer has Windows 7. So it was a good example where we gave him direction, we advised against it, but the client's always right and, and one of their engineers just fixed it like last week. Okay, yeah, yeah. and it, I guess in some of those situations like that that one you provided, like there's not a whole lot, with 5,000 doctors and 400 buildings, yeah, it's not necessarily that they're gonna switch from Windows 7 to Windows 10 overnight, overnight. on a Friday, like that doesn't happen. So um, I, I'm sure there are situations that pop up you're like, yes, I'm advising against it, but I understand the implications and yeah. we need to have you up and running, especially in a hospital setting or a doctor set, you know, a medical setting where things are life and death. Um, right. So yeah. making sure things are working properly for people. So that's really cool. So we talked about the rescuer. Um, we talked briefly about the detective. Yeah. Um, and do you want to dive into a little bit maybe more about the detective or two of the other archetypes? Well, yeah, absolutely. The detective definitely applies to exploratory testing. Mm -hmm. So if someone's looking at a system or when we are, we're exploring it, even even like first time users to your website that aren't engineers or testers, like your customers, when they go to your, to any branded website, they what are they doing? They're exploring, they're mm -hmm. saying, hey, is this interesting? This looks good. Uh, back to user experience, if it doesn't feel right, they might just leave and not come back. But there's always a level of exploring. Um, and of course, the engineer is important too because we're all engineers, so how do you communicate with clients? There, there's scenarios where it was better to communicate uh, using data and pictures instead of words to show the client something. Sometimes I, I see issues and I'm like, well, how do I explain that to someone? Is it easier to explain it in words where things sometimes do get lost in translation? Uh, and they do. Or is it easier to take the time and do a screenshot? And I, I really like, um, especially with two-dimensional websites, flat websites, screenshots and numbers. And you know, it, people still get lost, but um, it's really it's good to do that. A, a translator, if I go into the translator, I, I, I talk often about tickets. Mm -hmm. and, and when tickets get really long, and they do, we've worked with clients, and it's not uncommon where, where somebody writes a ticket and then you find out exactly what they meant towards like, as people are adding comments, and if it gets really long, I'll close it out. 
and I, I won't close it out to just just to close it out I'll actually say hey we've there's a new definition of what it is so we're, we'll create a new ticket and we'll keep it really simple and we'll link those two tickets depending on what software they're using Jira you can link it mm -hmm. um, or put an actual link um, sometimes you can't and you just gotta like write what number it's linked to but we like to do that because it's it happens it's not uncommon where where tickets end up getting longer than they should be and that's okay but every time we read it for the for the fifth or tenth time you still tend to read it from top to bottom and it, it's easy to get lost with that so that's that's a good part of being a translator is knowing how to just like code refactor the language could you refactor what what you wrote in an email could you refactor what you wrote uh, in, in Jira um, you know Another example is is I had a client tell me, or an, an agency I work with, from one of the client tell me recently that they needed to cut our hours in, uh, by a third. And that was great. I mean, they told us that, and I was surprised. And then I had a list uh, describing an email why we shouldn't cut those hours. Mm -hmm. You know, help educate them. Hey, we need to, this doesn't, if we cut our hours, this won't cover development, staging, and production. It was a pretty large system. Um, if we cut our hours, then you know we might not have enough to check all the all the latest browsers as they get get updated, or, or all the new cool devices people are on based on analytics. Analytics, or you know how often operating systems get updated. So those are things the client wasn't really aware of, and then they, they actually reverted and said, you know, you're right. Let's keep your hours. So there's a lot of ways somebody could use those those archetypes, and it doesn't necessarily have to be software bugs doesn't have to be well this is has to do just with bugs it could just be working with people working with clients um, there's there's a scenario right now with engineers two really good developers that I'm working with and during our scrums every morning our scrum meeting I got the hint that they were upset that I was labeling tickets as bugs so finally I reached out to them in slack and we're on the same team and I was like hey you know you brought this up a number of times. Did, would you feel better if we changed it to a task? And we got into this whole discussion, and I was like, you know, I don't like bugs, but, you know, I'm the QA person, and you're the engineer, so I actually felt better by writing it, by labeling it a bug, because I felt if I labeled it a task, then I was giving you work to do, and I'm not your boss. And they actually were like, yeah, we don't like bugs because the client, the scrum master, gets all like happy and anxious when he sees bugs, but we don't like how that makes us look, mm. right? So that discussion, um, we decided to change thing to, things to tasks, and that's when I ended up saying, I like observations because they're sort of neutral. Why do we have to put labels on everything? Uh, but yeah, that, that, that ended up being like the translator too. Um, and it, again, it's not. It wasn't something that I was a translator for. It, it had to be with human communication, talking to them. Uh, you know, what could we help you with? We're on the same team, and they know that. But I, I was under the impression that, they, and they weren't really happy seeing these tickets as bug, bugs. And later on in the scrum meetings, they're like, "Oh yeah, we got a task." Like they're happy to talk about it. Right. Yeah. And I think so, that that. that Translator one it brings up something that I think a lot of people are talking about in you know in software right now, and it's it's the importance of communication. Oh, absolutely. Um, and kind of opening up those doors and and trying to see what the other side is, and, and trying to understand and have empathy and and figure out how you all can work together. Yeah, yeah. It's it's really it's challenging. <laughs> it really is. I mean, everything. This is what I, I try to like tell people without looking to be right. Is software is custom. 
There's no one-size-fits-all, and therefore you can't have one-size-fits-all for communication. Uh, I often get questions like, what's your process for defect resolution and tickets and bugs? And, and I always tell the teams that work what they say, you know what, whatever works best for you. Mm. Because you know, it doesn't really matter to me, but if we find a groove and things work fine and everyone's happy with it, then let's do that. It doesn't have to be some predefined system that somebody else was using or, or used on another project because people have different preferences. Um, there's some people I work with and, and you know I could see when they've changed the ticket in JIRA or their notifications and it's as good as me knowing that once they did it, they've already deployed the code and I just, just go in there and comment and say that it's verified and that's something I do often. It, even if I don't know the engineer working on it, I'll look at, I'll look at the history. Uh, JIRA has history so I could find out who worked on it and, and I like to go out of my way and say and tag them and say this is verified. Thank you very much. Those, those small steps, you know, those small steps help a lot. It's those small small steps of recognition. Um, I always say thank you to people. I know you know because I know the work isn't easy. I know I, the, the things that look the easiest are not the easiest to do. <laughs> you know, and that's a it's a very true statement. You know, from from public speaking to writing code to, you know, talking to people like things are challenging. Yeah, absolutely. I 100% agree. I was actually just having a, a conversation with uh, another speaker, and we kind of talked about some of those. You know, some of the things you mentioned, talking to people, and you know, public speaking or um, interacting with humans are sometimes labeled soft skills. Yeah. But sometimes those soft skills are actually really hard to master. Yep. Uh, yeah, you know, learning are. to get up on stage in front of a room of 500 people, learning to even get up on stage in a room of, you know, in a meeting in front of five people for a lot of people is intimidating and challenging and you really have to practice those skills. And those skills can be so important to delivering uh, quality products to uh, customers. Yeah, and that, that absolutely falls in line with the translator archetype. Because like, how do you know, how does someone know how to communicate to more than one person? Because everyone sees things differently, everyone's got a different interpretation, and that's not easy. You know, that's really—it's just not easy. I mean, you could be, there could you could talk to a doctor or an expert, and they could talk about uh, something very specific to their to their field, and that would make no sense to anyone else. The trick is how do they communicate the risk uh, or communicate effectively with everyone else? That all the stakeholders and different stakeholders understand different languages. So that's. I think that's uh, pretty universal. We forget that, you know, we forget that communication is, is, is a two-way street and like we think the spotlight is literally on us all the time, but you know, we're just half of the, we're half the, the effort in communicating. There's another half and the, the trick is, I guess, making that mat meet. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, I was like losing words for a little <laughs> bit, but yeah, it's, it's challenging. It sounds, it sounds easy. Um, but it's definitely not easy, and it depends on what the topic is and who, who, what the message is, and who the stakeholders are. So, right, absolutely. So, so now you've gone through this rebranding with with bad testing, and you yeah. have uh, these four archetypes. Um, when when someone comes and you know you talk about these, the translator, the engineer, the uh, the rescuer, the detective, what, um, how are you kind of using those archetypes to better serve your clients now? Um, yeah, we, we definitely use them to better serve our clients. I'm more mindful of like, hey, this is a translator archetype because because that's pretty often actually. Just how do how do I communicate that? Uh, I could just 
type away and say, here's what's going on, blah, blah, blah. But then, like, I'll stop myself and say, you know, they'll read that, but this needs to be refactored. Because today, the, the people will read things, but not everyone understands, even though it makes sense to me. Um, so I, I think about how I could better communicate it. Could I use a screenshot? I, I could tell you for a fact that if, when I use screenshots and, and numbers and steps and images, it takes time. It takes more time and effort. But I, I also know for a fact that it takes less time to fix it. And I've gotten good feedback from stakeholders and, and engineers, and they're like, this is great. Thank you so much for writing it the way you, you did, as opposed to to seeing a lot of text, people just tend to get lost. And I think it's that, that little effort that it helps. It does take more time sometimes, but on the flip side, it takes, it takes less time to fix the issue. Uh, and, and it's pretty, pretty short. A as for um, like the engineer, the engineer is sort of, it, it, you know, the engineer is pretty common because there's different phones, different operating systems, and we, we, we want to make sure things work. So like engineer could be non-functional requirements. This is something we see often, um, both with boundary tests and edge cases where, you know, re really good developers, people are like, well, how do you find that? No one's going to see that. Well, I understand no one's going to see that, but it's out there. And at the end of the day, like we could all fix things and find things. But once you go to user testing or once it's out there in the wild, there's still going to be issues that nobody thought about. Uh, so an engineer ne needs to look at like especially non-functional requirements. Uh, things we see often are on smartphones. What happens with the keyboard? When, there, when there's an interaction with the form or a field, what happens when you click return or go depending on uh, Android or, or iOS? Sometimes um, some websites don't, the keyboard pops up and nothing happens after clicking return or go. They, so those are, those are general bugs that we write, but we also let people know that that's a bug, you know, it could be a bug with the operating system interacting with your software. It could be a bug with your software interacting with the operating system. There's really no clear definition, but at the end of the day, that piece of software where people are holding the phone has an interaction that we didn't account for. And, you know, that's obviously if you're using a keyboard on a smartphone, then there's, that's probably a big piece of functionality at what you're looking at. So you need to make sure that that keyboard is pretty easy to use. Um, and, th and those are also common, uh, I'd say, observations that we find. Yeah, I think that's awesome. And I think that um, I think something that we've talked about a little bit here, and something that we keep, t you know, kind of getting at is it's all about user experience. Oh yeah, it, it, it's all about you know, at the end of the day, like. Yes, we have people developing and, and creating and testing this software uh, internally on Teams, but at the end of the day, it's all about what what is the user, the end user, getting? What experience are they taking away from this? Yeah, and, and that's 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 an outstanding point, outstanding comment, because at the end of the day, like your users, everyone's users that go to applications, the websites, they don't care about the design comps, they don't care about requirements, functional specs, they don't care about any of that. They just want to go to a website or an app, and if there's something that looks bothering or doesn't doesn't work well for them, that's user experience. They're not going to come back. Uh, and that's an important statement, I think, is that people they don't they don't know. I mean, that's that's why it's so hard to build something where someone could use it, interact, and come back to you. The simplest things tend to be the most difficult things to work to build. Maybe it's because because uh, organizations and experts actually build too, too many features. They want everything, and, and it sounds cool, but at the end of the day, your users don't want that. We'd love to continue this conversation and more on the TechWell Hub. 
you can join our Slack community at hub.techwell.com. And remember to check out techwell.com to learn about our expert training, conferences, and communities for software professionals.